Well, we do continue with our worship today by looking to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're continuing in that sermon, of course, titled Life Under the Sun. And today, specifically, uh, the sermon is entitled Tick-Tock Goes the Clock. And as you probably have hopefully have read through Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 9, you'll see why this is an appropriate uh, title uh, today for this text. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to share just one verse as we would start and as we would prepare our hearts uh, for uh, this message. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 says, there is an appointed time for everything and there is a time for every event under heaven. Lord, this is your word for us today and we, we do pray for your grace and for your mercies and that you would help us to apply this word to our own hearts and lives and that you would be glorified through it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Tick-tock goes the clock. Uh, today's message is going to deal with time as you probably have figured that out and if you read through uh, that text of Ecclesiastes you'll see why this is appropriate and I was thinking of ways to kind of get us going on time and then I ran across a study that was done a few years ago that really uh, really interviewed like well, I don't know how many thousands of people and talked about their habits and everything else and they talked uh, the average age of life in America is about 80 years that's I mean, just in general of course the, the give or take but about we have 80 years of living and what they did in the surveys they tried to determine what we did for those 80 years what how do we spend our time in those 80 years well I was going to share with you some of their major findings here. We spend 33 years of our 80 in bed, okay? 26 years sleeping and 7 years trying to fall asleep, all right? Yeah, <laughs> 33 years, all right? 14 years and 4 months working, 11 years and 4 months looking at screens, i.e. social media, Netflix, Facebook. thought that was intriguing. 11 years four years and six months eating. So double the time we spend eating, we watch TV. <laughs> Three years and one month on holiday or vacation. One year and four months exercising. Eleven years watching screens and one year exercising. There's something wrong with that. And then because uh, the other night, we, my wife and I had a commitment at 5.30 and we were running a little bit late uh, that night and I, I won't mention why that was why we were running late. Will I, Gloria? Okay. But I thought I would throw this one in because it was in there. Uh, getting ready. Okay, getting ready to go someplace. Women spend 136 days getting ready. Men are only 46. All right. So I wanted to, so we think about time. But what's the point of this? Time passes, right? Time passes. And the theme that I want to build upon today is real simple. It's right on the screen there. You can see it. That this is the theme. Because we know not our time, what are we to do with the time we have? Because we don't know our time, what are we to do with the time that we have? That's what we're talking about today. All right. So first of all, I'm going to start with what I would call today preliminary considerations. And I'm going to turn you back uh, to verse 1. Uh, look at that again. Just take a peek at this. I hope you bring a Bible. Follow along in your smartphone, uh, whatever it is. Follow along in God's Word. It's such a good exercise for us. Verse 1. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. All right. So first of all, the preliminary considerations, these are just things I think it's healthy for us to think about as we prepare to receive uh, the message itself, and just some things, observations that are helpful for us as we begin to try to interpret the text. First of all, in the text in verse 1, when it talks about this appointed time, what this, what this text is doing, it's essentially a poem. And you've, you've probably figured that out in a way. 
And, uh, you know, it's interesting. This is probably the one text out of all of Ecclesiastes that you're familiar with. This is a text that most people are aware of. Uh, and if you were, was it 1965? If you were a Birds fan in 1965, turn, turn, turn. This, this is the exact lyrics from most of that song, this, this whole thing of Ecclesiastes. And it's interesting because we, we think of that. So this is a very pretty popular uh, portion of Ecclesiastes. But I think it's important for us to recognize it is essentially a poem, all right? And it starts off in verse 1 with that idea of appointed time and seasons. And then it ends in verse 9, and this is where we're going to end today, talking about kind of this futility or what gain is there in this. And so it opens and it closes. And then in between, there are all kinds of things. But I wanted to go back to the idea of that in your text it says there is an appointed time. The word that's used there in the Hebrew is a word that means a definitive time. It's not like time passing randomly, but rather it's a very interesting word. It's a word that's used both in Esther and in Nehemiah to talk about an appointed time or a definitive time. And I think it's important that we recognize that, that by the use of that word, we recognize that these are definitive times. They're not times that, that the duration is unknown. Now, we don't know the duration, but rather there is a stop and a close to these times, and that, that is part of that word, an appointed time. Now, notice as you go through this text, and we're going to go through each of these, by the way, but just to, as an overview, when we go through this, you're going to see uh, seven pairs, essentially, and you're going to see 14 opposite things. Love and hate, war and peace, gather, lose, so on and so forth. You're going to see this. And this mechanism that the Holy Spirit uses is, I think, believing it's to call attention to something. First of all, it's to call attention to the great diversity that occurs in life. And the great changes that all of us undergo and go through in all of the days of our lives. And I think that this text is really meant to speak to virtually every human emotion and every human season that we can go through. So these uh, seven pairs or couplets, 14 items and all, really they're opposites, but the purpose is really to declare to us this diversity, uh, this changeableness that we would see throughout all of our lives, all right? Now, when we read through this text, I want us to recognize, too, that we always have to make a, a, a distinction in Scripture about something being descriptive or prescriptive, all right? Descriptive and prescriptive. Descriptive describes an event as it takes place. Descriptive, without necessarily making any comment about the appropriateness of the action or act, just describes it, all right? Prescriptive describes something that is to be done or something that we can take from this for action, all right? So when we go through this text, I want to caution us that I don't believe this text is necessarily prescriptive. It's not giving us a command that we're to go out and to kill people. We're not to go out and hate people, even though there's a time for that. That doesn't mean that we go do that, but rather it is describing all of the seasons and all of the times and all of the emotions that we go through in our lives, all right? So it's not necessarily prescriptive, it's descriptive. And then I believe, and I'll, I'll close on this for this first point, the idea that oftentimes there's a tendency, um, and it probably shouldn't surprise us, we, we want to read ourselves into the Scripture, and that's a good thing because Scripture's written for us. But I think sometimes when we read, uh, particularly this text, our tendency is to focus upon us. 
and about where God has placed us in this particular time or what's going on or, or this and that. And, and that's well and good because, again, I make the case, these are all seasons of our lives, uh, the days of our lives, if you would. But I think that we err if we just see ourselves in this text. Because really, this text, I think, speaks not to ourselves, but to whom? This text speaks to us about God. And this text, in fact, the book of Ecclesiastes warns us not to get so caught up with things under the heaven as to avoid the one that is over the heaven or over the sun. And I think that this text of Ecclesiastes 3, as beautiful of a poem as it is, is not so much a poem about us, although it is, but rather it's a poem about God. And that he is ultimately and finally uh, in charge of all that is there in time. These are times that he permits to occur in all of our lives. And ultimately and finally, he is the one that is in charge. He is the one that is in control. Now, that said, there's a tendency in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I've heard this said before, and we're going to come to some of these texts even next week. There can be... A fatalistic attitude reading Ecclesiastes. You can read and you kind of get depressed. You can say, well, what's the purpose? If all these things, if all these seasons, if all this stuff is going to happen, why even try, right? That's wrong. <laughs> it's easy to fall into that trap, but this is the reason of this text. I believe that we would see all the way through Scripture, there is a tension between what we would call divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And we have to wrestle with that, all right? That's something, there's not an easy answer, but it's something we wrestle with all the way through Scripture. And I can give you numerous examples of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. This book of Ecclesiastes does not abdicate us from a human responsibility. We cannot read this and say, well, God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. Who cares? That cannot be the way we do this because the rest of the book and already through the book, what do we read about? Proverbs too. Proverbs is a book that tells us how to live. It tells us how to live responsibly in the the world that God controls. And the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to learn a lot about how God calls us to live. So you can't get on the bandwagon and say, well, this is just a fatalistic book. I don't have to worry about it. It is a book that tells us about, yes, God's divine sovereignty, his divine control, but it also speaks to us about our human responsibility in the midst of the lives that we lead. In midst of the seasons of time that God gives us, God desires us to live responsibly. And, and with wisdom in those times. And that, that's something that we're going to learn about as we walk through this, right? So preliminary considerations, right? We've talked about some of the basic ideas, particularly of this text in particular. But now we want to take a look at what I call the specifics. Point number two are the specifics. And this is that part of the text where uh, we're going to get in. We're going to go through this, in fact, uh, phrase by phrase to kind of just talk uh, this through a little bit. And I want to preface all this because when we go through this, the, a lot of these are self-explanatory. And when I usually take the English translation and then I look up some of these words uh, in the Hebrew Bible as well uh, and through electronic resources, I don't know that much Hebrew, but it's really fun to look about how they've translated different words. And what's interesting is that this is all what it says in English is what it says in Hebrew. So as, as I go through this, it's not like I can add a bunch of uh, hidden meaning to this. This is pretty much what we got here. So it's pretty much self-explanatory, but there are a few here that probably deserve a little bit more emphasis, a little bit more effort on us uh, to understand. So let's start, let's go through these pairs, uh, through these words. It says in verse 2, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. Essentially, this is, this is probably the, the big thing that we deal with all the time. It's, it's dealing with life and what? Life and death. 
And it kind of captures the essence of all the things that we go through. What happens? We are born, and then what? We die, all right? We are born and we die. And again, this is not being fatalistic. It's just, it's telling the truth. This is, this is what happens. It's describing what happens in all of our lives. That second part of that phrase talks about how it's a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. And again, I think we can even see this idea, a time of birth and a time of death. Jesus talks about how a grain must fall to the ground and be planted in it, and then it grows up, and then it's harvested. You know, it's, it's uprooted. But in order for it to live, it must first die. And that's just kind of a cycle, if you would, of life, that there's birth, and then there's death. There's life, and there's death. And Solomon starts off, I believe, in verse 2, describing that effect in all of our lives. Verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up. Now, this is that one I caution you on. This is not saying that we're to go out and to kill people. This is not permission to kill that person you're mad at today, all right? And I hope you're not that mad anyway. The word that's used here for kill is a very different word than what's used like in the Ten Commandments that talks about premeditated murder. But rather it is a word that describes this. In fact, it's a word uh, uh, that is used in the Greek that describes Jesus' death. It's kind of a, a, a time to die, an appointed time. At, at just the right time, Jesus died for our sins on the cross. It's that idea. It's also used of holy war in the Bible where there was a war and it was a holy war. But the idea here, again, frankly, is that what? There is, there is a time that we come, and there is a time that people die, the time and to heal. And the idea there is there's a time that life is taken, and there's a time that life is preserved. Taken and preserved. Kill and to heal. Tear down and a time to build up. Most people understand this to be used in a construction sense. There are times when we are called upon to tear something down and times we're called upon to build it up. And even in Scripture we see, for example, Nebuchadnezzar coming to Jerusalem and tearing down the walls of Jerusalem, of destroying the city of Jerusalem. And then years later we see a guy named Zerubbabel coming and what's he do to the walls of Jerusalem and to the temple? What's he do? He builds it up. Again, that idea of a time uh, to tear down and a time to build up. Verse 4, one of my favorites. Uh, interesting you think about this. Notice it says, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And this is probably that one verse uh, that I thought of as a pastor about how often this has happened to me when I think of funerals and weddings. And it has not necessarily been an uncommon occurrence that in the course of a few days time, particularly as we get closer to a weekend where I will do a funeral service and a worship service, and a wedding, and a baptism, all on the same weekend. This, this has happened more than one time. And I can't help but I always think of this verse, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And how when I'm with one group of individuals, and this is probably one of the hardest things as a pastor to understand uh, what everyone is going through in all these different seasons of time. And, and you're at a wedding and it's, it's all, it's great. That's the happiest time of somebody's life. But the day before you did a funeral and it was the saddest day of somebody's life. And again, you just can't help but reflect upon the truth of Scripture as it's describing what happens, weeping and laughing, mourning and dancing. 
Verse 5, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. Uh, the idea, this is the one that maybe needs a little bit of clarity. Uh, the time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. Most Bible commentators look at that and they recognize that in the Old Testament in particular, there would be places uh, that describe, in the Old Testament when they went to war, their score, you ever heard of the policy of scorched earth? <laughs> When you go into a place, you just ruin the land for whoever is going to come after you. you. You ruin it, plow it up, pour salt on it. Whatever you're going to do, you're going to make it miserable for whoever comes after you. That's scorched earth. Well, they did that in the ancient times too. But how they did scorched earth in biblical times is that they would literally, armies would take big rocks and they would throw rocks all over a field. And what would happen then? You couldn't grow a crop. You couldn't do anything with that field if you threw a bunch of rocks on it. And that's the idea of this text when it talks about a time uh, to throw stones and a time to gather stones because, of course, the time to gather then is what? It's preparing a field to plant. There's a time to destroy the field. There's a time to prepare the field. That's what that verse is essentially talking about. And then it goes on to talk about embracing, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. This word probably deals with friendships. And I think that all of us probably recognize that uh, there have been friends that we have embraced and friendships that we cherish. And at the same time, there have been what? Friendships we have lost. And maybe sometimes friendships that need to be given up. I know that as a parent, I think one of our greatest worries all the time uh, was, is that friend good for my child? Is it a good influence? You know, bad company corrupts good morals. We read that all the time. That's so true. And as parents, that's, and maybe as a child, you're going through that now. But this is what that text speaks about. There may be friends that we're called upon to embrace, the friends that, that need to be part of our lives, that are good for us, that are healthy for us. But I think that we need to recognize there might be some friends even right now that aren't good for you, that aren't healthy for you, uh, that in fact are drawing you away from the Lord rather than drawing you towards the Lord. But in the end, the idea here is that there are friendships that continue and friendships that end. That's just uh, the way uh, that it is. And then notice in verse 6, it says, A time to search and a time to give up is lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away. Most commentators on this text talk about a time to search and a time to give up is lost. There just comes times when we find things we look for, <laughs> and there are times when we don't find things we look for. And, and that can be a physical thing, that might be an emotional thing, it might be a relationship thing, whatever that is. But the idea is that there are times we find those things and times that we do not find those things. And then last part of verse 6, a time to keep and a time to throw away. And I'm reminded always as we make trips annually to St. Vincent de Paul or to the Union Gospel Mission, we've got a, quite a stack of stuff that we're going to get rid of, right? All of us probably are there. Got quite a stack of things we're going to get rid of. But we've also had quite a bit of stuff come into the house this year at the same time. There's a time to give and a time to take away. There's a time to throw away and a time to keep. And then in verse 7, uh, talks about tearing apart and sewing together, a time to be silent and a time to speak. Verse 7, uh, by most accounts, is most likely referring to the process of mourning, uh, the process of, of grieving. And we would recognize, particularly in the Old Testament, that when we would grieve, it was not uncommon to rend one's clothes, to tear one's clothes as a sign of the grief that we are feeling. Uh, it was a time of, of loud wailing or of silence. Uh, and we would see in that verse 7 in particular, most likely the mourning practices of the day. And then, of course, verse 8, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. 
And again, we recognize the truth of this. And we would recognize again, this is not necessarily proscribing things that we're to do, but rather describing the way things are. And particularly in our world today, we would recognize the horror of war and the absence of peace. And we would recognize how true these words ring uh, to us this day. And then Solomon closes out the poem and he says, what profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? And that's where we're going to end today with that. I think that what we need to recognize, what Solomon is doing is that he's not quite yet to that point of acknowledging the one that's over the sun. And again, when we look at these events and we look at these seasons as just something that happens, when we, when we fail to see even God at work in them, that is when life becomes futile. But I want you to be encouraged today that as we go through these specifics, as we go through uh, these different uh, opposites, that what we need to do to recognize the significance of this text is to see that in the midst of every circumstance, God is at work. <laughs> And guess what? God is fulfilling his purposes in love and war and hatred and in peace and in, in healing and in killing and death and in dying and planting and growing and heart. All of these things, all of these seasons, God is at work. And it is then and only then that we can begin to grasp the significance of our seasons when we see the one that controls those seasons. And then we can recognize that there is a divine scheduler. You see, God is at work. He is the divine scheduler. And futility is sure to result if we do not surrender to this divine schedule. And again, not that we're just to give it up, but rather to recognize our responsibility even in all of these times and that God is at work. All right, just a few minutes left. I wanted to close today with what I call takeaways. All right, we kind of just had one about how God is the divine scheduler. But what are the takeaways uh, that we would see? What can I send with you today? As you read through this text, what are some things that you can take with you that I think will help us uh, in our daily lives? Number one is this, appreciate the season that God has placed you in. Appreciate that season for what it is. And what I mean by that, I had this phrase I wanted to use. I said, rejoice in the firsts. Rejoice in the firsts. Cherish the lasts. And embrace every moment in between. All of you go through times of firsts. First birthday, first grandbaby, first this, first that. And some of you are going through the loss of life. The last time you gave your loved one a hug. The last one you held somebody's hand. The last thing you said to somebody. Rejoice and cherish and then embrace all that is in between. I think that's so critical for us today that we would embrace and enjoy the season that God has placed us in. And then secondly, I want us to know this today. Matthew chapter 10 verse 29. Matthew 10 29 tells us that not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from God's knowledge and apart from God's will. So what does that do? That tells us that there's no such thing as chance. <laughs> So as we, as we go through life, as we think about these seasons, these seasons don't just randomly happen by guess and by gosh. We can recognize that there is a God who cares for us. There is a God who values you. And this, this is so important because may, maybe you're not like me, but have you ever felt that God forgot about you? Where, where is God in this? Have you ever thought that? You may not say it, but many of you have thought it. And this text of Matthew just teaches, there's no such thing as chance. God has not forgotten about you. 
God is well aware of who you are, and He is well aware of where you are. And He has you in this particular season in accordance to His will, whatever that season may be, all right? So, so in, appreciate that and to recognize that nothing occurs by chance. And then let me just say this. This is something that I think we're probably all really gifted at, and that's wasting time. We all waste time. And I think it's important to recognize that God doesn't want us to be a waster of time. That he'd rather have us redeem the time. That's a phrase that's used in scripture, redeem the time, which means to buy back or to use wisely. And I think part of redeeming the time as we think of what that is, first of all, is to use our time wisely. Don't, don't waste time, use it wisely. It's interesting in the book of Luke chapter 19, Jesus, part of that parable of the servants, he gives his servants minas, or he gives them treasures. And it's so interesting in the Gospel of Luke, he says, go and do business with these. He uses that phrase, go and do business. And the idea is that we are to be active and that we are to be engaged in the world that God has given to us with our time, talent, and our treasure. That's part of what it is to redeem the time. That's part of what it is to be a good steward, is that we are to do business we're also called upon to preach the word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word in season and out of season. We are to be preaching the gospel in all that we would do, that we would be a people of the word and that we would be proclaiming that word. And that we would be a people then that take advantage and take use of every opportunity that we have, that we would be good stewards of that and that we would be a people that preach and proclaim that word. And also, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. We are to be lights that shine in the world. I think that's redeeming the time. When we would recognize the effect of our witness, that we would be a people that want to be lights that shine in our communities and in our families and in our homes and in our schools, that we would be that kind of people that we would allow the light of Jesus to shine, that we would be that person that illuminates rather than brings darkness, that that would be a purpose of ours. And then I think one of the most important things, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 7 says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. <laughs> there are most likely some people in this place right now and listening on live stream that your heart has been hard, that you've heard the gospel and you've rejected it, you have wanted to go your own way. And my prayer today is that you wouldn't harden your heart, that your heart would be hardened no more, that, that potentially the music or this message or the word of God or praying, that there'd be a softening of that heart and that you would receive by grace through faith the, the forgiveness that Jesus would offer to you right here and right now. Today, if you hear his voice, if you hear the gospel, do not harden your heart. That, that's what it is to use time rightly. And then I believe with all my heart that we are called upon to use and to make the most of every opportunity. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 tells us that we are to make the most of every opportunity. And that is a direct word against wasting time. That's a direct word against killing time. But it's a direct word that tells us that we are to make the most of every opportunity that God places before us. And I'm going to close today with an accounting of a guy. I love this story. I learned later that this had actually been on ESPN and Fox and Friends. Ray Ruschel is the fellow that's on the screen. And this caught my attention for a couple of reasons. Ray Ruschel, he's in a football jersey there. North Dakota State College of Science. NDSCS now it is in Wapata, North Dakota. 
And I, I didn't go to school there, but I had many of my friends go there, and I grew up in that area. And uh, he played football there with the Wildcats, and they were never very good when I was, I was younger. But it's interesting, uh, this year they went to the national championship. They, they lost, but they came in second place in the nation for the junior colleges. Ray Ruschel is 49 years old. He wanted to play football. He is a 17-year Army veteran and National Guard veteran. He went back to school to complete a degree in business management. He works full-time, uh, nighttime, the night shift, at Mindak Beat Plant out of Wapaton. He gets home, he goes to class, he doesn't miss class, does all of his homework, is a very good student. Then he said, you know what, I've never had the opportunity to play football, I'm going to play football. So 49-year-old Ray Russell goes out on the field, the players and the coach said, he thought he was another coach. He says, no, I want to play, I'm a freshman. And guess what, Ray Russell made the team, and he's a pretty good ball player, he's a nose tackle. And when they interviewed him, I just la I didn't laugh. It was just so cool to 49 years old, all right? 49 years old, and he is keeping up with all the young bucks. And then he said, what motivated him, he said, is that I didn't want to miss an opportunity. Dear friends, I think that's a word for us today. That wherever God has placed you, that he desires that we not miss the opportunity and that we would be a people that take advantage of it, all right? Time cannot be banked, only used. Use it wisely. Heavenly Father, this is your word for us today. And Lord, we think about this even idea of spending time and where we spend our time. Let us be mindful that we can't bank it, we can't keep it, we just spend it. But I do pray that we would spend it wisely. And that Lord God, ultimately and finally, that all that we do would bring you glory and honor and praise. And Heavenly Father, I'm thankful today that we can gather and we can praise your name. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.